Amen. In 2014, the Vancouver, Vancouver School Board instructed teachers to replace the traditional pronouns of he and she with xe and him and her with xer when referring to students who, couldn't, not, who could not identify with traditional pronouns. Now, Mike Lombardi, the vice chairman on the board, said that the goal was to find appropriate language that would best reflect the situation that students find themselves in. He also said that what we're basically saying is that the students should be able to have some choice in what kind of pronoun they use to describe them. We want to make students feel comfortable. We want to make them feel safe and included. In April 2015, the Olympic gold medal winning decathlete and American reality TV star Bruce Jenner announced to the world that he wished to identify as a woman and from then onwards would be known as Caitlin. Appearing on Vanity Magazine as Caitlin, the photographer of the shot of the shoot declared, Jenner is finally herself for the first time publicly. At the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio, one of the biggest points of discussion was around sex. South African runner Casta Semenya was one of the favourites to win the 800 metres. But Semenya has a, chrom a chromosome makeup that is 46XY, which from that one bit of data in isolation would tell you that Casta Semenya, along with, uh, is male. Along with she having <coughs> sorry, internal testes, and increased testosterone would all suggest that she is a man. But due to another condition she has called androgen insensitivity disorder, she also has female genitalia and therefore at birth was identified as a female and has been raised and experiences herself as a woman. When it comes to gender, we live in a complex world, a very complex world. We no longer live in a world that accepts the gender binary of male and female. Gender is fluid, non-binary, that is not linked to our birth sex in any way. It's not something that is possessed or given, but something self-determined and acted upon. And there are all kinds of categories and pronouns one can use to describe their gender, and it fits under the umbrella term of transgender. As Christians, we need to respond with the good news of Jesus out in front of us and ask what is the story that it tells about this issue and how might it be a better story than the one our world tells. What we're going to do this morning is look at what that better story is by examining the issue, the issue of gender fluidity with the, within the biblical framework of the creation, of the fall, and of the redemption and consummation that comes in Jesus, and how this differs with the story our world is currently telling about gender and identity. A few things to note up front. Other than providing a few uh, definitions along the way, I'm not going to dive into the science or the philosophy of gender dysphoria or transgenderism uh, or gender non-binary uh, ethics. I'm not an expert in that field at all. And that is going to be glaringly obvious as we talk about this issue, as I talk about this issue. And it might even perhaps be offensive. And I, and I acknowledge that. 
And it might be really frustrating that I'm talking about this as someone who's just a minister and not an expert. But I do hope you'll give me grace because I believe as a minister of God's word, I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God. And I do believe that God's word speaks into the current context, the current climate, the current culture that we are in. And he has something to say, and that's what I want to do this morning. Talk about what is God's word to us amongst this time and this age within this particular issue. So that's what I want to do this morning. So that said, let's look at gender and gender fluidity in the creation narrative. If you look at Genesis 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Then further down, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When we read Genesis chapter 1, we are reading a creation account that is at the macro level. In other words, we're looking at God's work of creating from 30,000 feet, so to speak, instead of being personal and up and close, which is what Genesis 2 does. And this makes sense when we read verses 26 and 27. Notice God does not say he made a man and a woman, but that he made male and female. Intrinsic to this creature he is making called human beings is that they are sex beings in which there are two modes, male and female. And so this will be true and apply to all human beings that he makes. And we read in verse 31 that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There are so many things that God has made that are very good, but why is it that the dual mode of humanity as male and female is good. Because such a black and white view of gender and sex doesn't sound like good news to the trans community. Such a view is limiting when it comes to their ability to identify who they are. When what they feel is different to what their bodies present them to be, these categories of male and female don't cut it. We need to understand that this is the trans person's highest virtue, being able to self-determine who they are and what their gender is and be able to express that on their bodies in the community around them. Limiting the facts is highly offensive and potentially destructive to their identity. And so identity is at the heart of this particular issue. Being able to be who you think and feel that you are and, and express that in the world around you. But we should notice that our birth sex is for more than sex and our assigned agenda is for more than simply differentiating between male and female. In other words, it's more for than just being, being able to be identified or identity. Our sexual differentiation within our common humanity has the greater purpose of imaging the very one who said, let us make. Our gender doesn't simply provide us an identity marker of what kind of human we are. Rather, our, gen our gender points to the God who made us and what he is like. And as we embrace our sexual diversity and common humanity, we image this God. There's a sense that as a man on my own, I can't image God. I can't reveal who God is and what he is like without someone different to me, a woman. Who is different, but yet 
I share something with them in common, our humanity. In so doing, revealing the kind of God that we worship, who is one God, that's a bell, but three in one. Father, Son, and Spirit. This sexual complementarity teaches us that men and women are different from one another and that we need someone who is different to us to fulfill us, to satisfy us, but who is not also unlike us. This is seen in chapter 2 when we come to the narrative where it goes from 30,000 feet to up close and personal, where we, talk, we go from talking about male and female to talking about man and woman. In chapter 2, verse 24, we read that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. There is this movement happening where humanity's essential unity and diversity as sex beings finds its natural expression in marriage. One minister, Mike Padgett, puts it like this. A person's biological sex is designed to reveal their objective gender and should it be taken up, certain gendered roles. So, roles such as being husband and wife, mother and father, son and daughter, brother and sister, and it goes on. Roles that have different expectations and parts to play, as a mother is the one who gives birth to the child. But nonetheless, Roles that contribute to the unity of these relationships and the flourishing of men and women together. And this being the order of things being set up is reinforced by Jesus himself. When he himself is challenged about marriage and remarriage, he says in verse in Matthew 19, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. If being male and female was for the purpose of only distinguishing between the two sexes as a mark of identity, then I can see how this doesn't sound like good news to the trans community. But sex and gender is created for much more than marking out our identity. Our sexual differentiation alongside our common humanity is given to us to reveal who God is as we image him. And there's something about that, that imaging him that flows into our natural expression for our life. And so as we seek to image him as men and women, different but united, we tend to flourish and enjoy life in unity with each other and with God, imaging him together. So thus our diversity and unity are expression of the diversity and unity within God himself. And so therefore, there's something about being male and female that is sacred. Something that God has given, not just for us, but for reflection of who he is as well. And that is why he says in verse 31 that this is good. This is very good. However, we're not in the garden anymore. Things have been muddled up. The natural expression of what God intended is not so straightforward anymore. And things are a lot harder And that's where we come to the second part of this narrative, the four. 
Something has happened. Something has gone awry in our world and things aren't the way they should be. And not only do we feel that, but that we're told the whole of creation, the whole of nature feels it. In Romans 8.22 we read, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And so irrespective of our individual rebellion against God and sin, we also feel this brokenness in our own lives. Experience it, its disordering effects on us. So it doesn't matter how healthy we are, how fit we are, how much our life seems to be good and plodding along, we all feel the effects of this fall, this power of sin over us. That means that we experience brokenness in our life. And we believe the fall has affected us sexually as well. And Jesus actually mentions a, an example of how this has happened in his day. In Matthew 19, again, he says, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Jesus is potentially talking about intersex conditions here, such as like the one that Casa Semenya has. At the very least, he's talking about impotency, not being able to give to have children, Otherwise, he's, he's talking about how the fall and sin has dramatically affected a human's sexed experience as a man or a woman. As Christians, we believe that not every experience we have of ourselves reflects God's will. And that includes every sexu- our sexual being itself. And our experience of sexual beings reflects God's will. Sometimes... Desires and experiences will be tangibly at odds with the expectations that we have on ourselves and that society places on us and what it means to be male and female to the point in which we might be seen by everyone as one particular gender but feel like the other. The name for that is gender dysphoria where one is unhappy with one's assigned gender. Sin has made our experience of, as gendered beings, very complex. The difficult question is, what does one do with these feelings? What does one do with this experience? What does it mean to be male or female when there's a conflict between your anatomy and how you feel? What does someone like Casa Semenya do? How does she identify herself? What would you say? except to simply accept how she self-identifies. It all depends on how you view the problem. As Christians, we see the problem intrinsically tied to the creation and its complete disordering, which we are all a part of. The breakdown of the natural order means that our experience as sex beings will be disordered as well. But for the trans community, the problem is not so much within nature and biology, but in history and culture, and its oppressive and limiting definitions of gender. For them, these intersex conditions should not be labelled as disorders, but differences. And for those who suffer from gender dysphoria, they should feel the freedom to determine their own gender and express that in whatever way they can, even if it means transforming their body through sexual reassignment surgery, taking puberty blockers and the like. Interestingly, as I was reflecting on this, the trans community's solution follows a similar schema 
for salvation that Christianity has. They feel acutely the effects of a fallen world, but for them, the fallen world is the political, cultural, and societal institutions that hold a binary view of gender. Salvation for them is being able to be born again by creating themselves in their own image. In so doing, they become a new creation where the old chains of gender binary are cast off in light of the new light of self-determinism. In such a world, gender and sex serve not as identifying markers only, but symbols of one's unfettered freedom to be whoever one wants to be. They enjoy the fruit of the Garden of Eden and it's promised that if they eat it, they will be like God. This is their salvation by works. This is their attempt to create themselves in their own image, ex nihilo, from nothing. But does it actually work? The evidence would suggest otherwise. One of the most thorough studies done on transgender people's post-operation experience was in Sweden, one of the most culturally accepting places for transgender people. The study looked at the quality of life after they had transitioned and found that after the 30 years they ran this study, the overall quality of life did not improve for the majority of participants. Instead, the suicide rate increased from three times to 20 times the amount. Dr. Paul McHugh, psychiatry professor at John Hopkins University School of Medicine, puts the problem down to this. Transgendered men do not become women, nor do transgendered women become men. All, including Bruce Jenner, become feminized men or masculinized women, counterfeits or impersonators of the sex with which they identify. In that lies their problematic future. In the end, they can't become what they desire to be. They can only pretend that they are that such. And pretending is not satisfying in the end, no matter what you're doing in life. And the reason why they can't do this is because they don't have the power to recreate themselves in their own image. They don't have the power to give themselves only what God can give us. Having said that all, though, we mustn't belittle their experience and just simply say, well, you're wrong, get with the program. Male and female is linked, is binary to our sex. We must hear them and listen to their experience. Not being judgmental or fearful because what they're experiencing is acutely the fall in their life and the brokenness of our world. And the thing is that the gospel speaks into that. They want to be created new. And the gospel says, well, I can, I can do that. They want to be safe and secure and have an identity. And the gospel says, we can give you that. They want to be their true, authentic self. And they recognize that it takes a big transformation for them to do so. But the problem is, is, that, is that it's not only just, it's, it's a much bigger problem than they first anticipate. 
And the, bro- the problem is much broader as well than just them. We are all broken sexually by the power of sin and are all in need of being transformed and made new, whether we realize it or not. The problem is, is so big that we can't do anything on our own merit to fix it. We can't recreate ourselves in our own image. We can't be born again by our own strength. Our only hope for us and for trans people is by being created anew by the power of our Lord Jesus and being made into his image. By being born again, not by the flesh, but by the spirit of the living God. This is the better story that Christians have to tell. And that's what we're going to turn to now in the final part of this story. As Christians, we believe that God sent his son to save us from our sin. Although we rebelled against God in his grace and his mercy, he sent Jesus to take away the guilt and the shame that we deserve for our rebellion against him. Romans 5.10 reminds us that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. He saved us from that rebellion and brought us back into relationship with him. But that's not the end of the story. We haven't just simply been restored in our relationship, but there's a, a work that's begun, a work of renewal for ourselves and for our world that's begun in Jesus Christ. A work that will end up being completed and finished when Jesus returns. And we read about that in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The goal is to bring everything into alignment, to set things in our world right again, to to anticipate the day in which there will be no more tears and no more pain as the old order of things passes away, as the book of Revelation reminds us. And so whatever the nature of one's struggle with gender, and whether it's rooted in their biology or their psychology or both, the great promise of Christ's work is that the old order of things in which these struggles exist in will one day be no more, and instead our world will be put right again, and as individuals seeking to become who we truly are, we ourselves will be put right again where we'll find alignment and congruence with our body and our mind, with our gender and our sex. For those suffering from gender dysphoria or those who want to transition, the hope that Jesus is promising is not that they will become, uh, they will lose themselves in a sense and identity, but they will become who they truly are as new creations. And there's a sense that this begins now and will ultimately finish when he returns. Paul highlights in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that those who trust in Christ will begin to experience this, saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But Paul also notes a little earlier on there's a struggle and a longing for the heavenly transformation that is to come in verses 1 to 4. It reads, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed. 
but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So therefore the Christian hope is lived out in this tension. We are beginning to experience new life in Jesus Christ. We are a new creation, truly. We've been forgiven. We've received his mercy. We're now children of the living God with an inheritance awaiting for us. And it's this present experience of all those things that gives us confidence of a future renewal of our world and our body as well. This tension between now and then is even more striking for those who are trans and are suffering from gender dysphoria. And what makes their present experience of Jesus all the more important for them? Yes, we can pray for healing, for congruence and alignment to happen in the present for them. But what is so much more important when it comes to their experience of the good news of Jesus is that they experience the forgiveness and the love of God. They experience the grace and the compassion that comes from Him. They recognize that becoming children of God does not determine or depend upon them being male or female, but rather them believing and trusting in Jesus that He will save them. We need to also show them that we are like them in that we are on a similar trajectory and that we are broken. Not that we want to undermine their experience and their struggle. I can tell you right now that my experience as a a man, born a man and feeling male, is certainly a lot easier than those who who don't have that experience, who are born as a woman and feel as a man. I certainly have it much easier than they do, but I'm no less broken necessarily. And nor do I have it fully figured out of what it means to be a man necessarily. And so they need a community of people who know the grace and love of God and who want to work with them as they work with us as we work out together our sin and our shame but recognizing that God's going to make us new in Christ again. That is what's so important in the present moment for them as they experience that grace that will help them to hold on to hope that in the new creation, when Jesus comes back to make all things new, they will be given a new body. It will align up with how they feel and they will be who they truly are meant to be, their true, authentic self. This is the better story that we can tell. That we are with them in this journey of becoming our glorified self in Christ Jesus, as Paul puts it in Philippians 3. There is so much more to be said, let's be fair. I've just scratched the surface. There are probably more questions bubbling away under the, under your, in your heads, and that's okay. But this is the place that I want to begin. That we are, to say that we are no less broken, we are no less sinful, we are no less in need of God's grace than they are. We, like them, are in need of God's transforming power in Christ Jesus and look forward to it when we, with them, will receive our new bodies as well. What I do want to say this morning is that we need to be compassionate and loving and gracious to this community. We don't want to give in to the mantra of our media that they are out there to destroy Western civilization as they seek to change laws about pronouns or seek to implement things in schools that will have us challenge the the model of gender that we have. 
Those things are things we discussed and are important, absolutely. But we need to recognize that at the heart of these things is a desire to simply make sense of their reality. The reason why they're trying to change things is because they're trying to make sense of themselves and their reality and they're crying out for some sort of solution to their problem. And we as Christians do not need to be fearful or anxious because we know the solution is found in the gospel. We know the solution is that in Christ, one can be born again by the Spirit. One can look forward to the hope of renewal. And that is what we've got to come forward with them and show them and reveal them and say, hey, we're, we're working things out too for ourselves. We feel the brokenness of this world too. And we're trusting in Jesus to make all things new. We've got to invite them to the table with Jesus and show that we are with them on this journey as well. Loving them, accepting them, being gracious towards them, all the while affirming God's good plan for sex and for gender and how God's making all things new in Christ.